when I first thought about doing the book of James, when it first kind of came on the, on the radar screen and, and we were looking for a serious title, uh, the idea of shoe leather wisdom uh, came to me primarily because of the chapter that we're about to go through, which is chapter 3. Uh, <clears throat> let me explain that a little bit. There's a lot of places in Scripture that are, you know, right, high and lofty. Uh, I mean, amazing insights into the nature of God, His universe that He's created, and that kind of stuff. And then there are other places that talk about kind of the grit side of life, the kind of grind it out, day in, day out kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, the stuff we face every day. And, and that's this chapter. This chapter is right here. It's, it's shoe leather, baby. We walk it every day. And so uh, this is just kind of, it's just one of the most basic topics that you can cover. And we're going to cover this in the next few weeks. And it has to do with our words and how we use them. Right? And, uh, and we're going to take a look at that. We'll, we'll begin that uh, today. Um, like I mentioned, we walk in these shoes, right? And we're tested by life and, and others and ourselves in this area every day. And James has a lot to say about it. So we probably should pray before we start this whole thing. <laughs> Let's do that. Father, we lift up this topic of our tongue. We probably have great successes. We probably have miserable failures in this area. And that would include listening to you when you've tried to coach us. All of us know that. As we've done that, as we do that, um, Lord, we engage the topic. Much will flush up. And we ask for your favor uh, on us that you would wash us and cleanse us and help us uh, deal with it. A lot of us are at different stages of the game in our conversation with you about our tongues. And a lot of us uh, have different levels of... um, trouble with this topic and so it's not even across the board for some of us it's not that bad for some of us this is the achilles heel of our relationship with you so we seek you this morning uh, be free to have a conversation and talk among us and we give that to you with great hope and pray this in your name amen all right so let's uh let's begin this morning with a, a simple uh children's rhyme i will get it up there for you here we go. Okay, here, so here's the rhyme. Sticks and stones may break my bones. How's it end? But words will never hurt me. Right? Okay, so we're going to test that theory this morning. All right? We're going to do something a little different than uh, what we usually do. Uh, we actually survived in first service, so we'll try it again in second. I'm going to ask you to get out of your normal comfort zone and be willing to take a risk this morning. So please humor me on this, all right? Just go along. So, okay, audience participation time, all right? So here we go. Uh, Everybody, if you would stand up and find a partner. Now, preferably not your your mate, all right? So if you're husband and wife, find somebody different, right? David, Robin, you've got to find somebody different. Don't be cheating back there, okay? Find somebody different. Get a partner. John and Jan, you cannot do it together. Come on, here we go. Find a partner. All right? All right, here we go. Listen to this. Here's what you're going to do. I want you to uh, share these two things with each other. Number one, name a time when you were hurt by someone else's words. Yeah, it just got real quiet. And number two... 
Name a time when you were really blessed by someone else's words. Let me do that again. Number one, name a time when you were really hurt by someone else's words. And number two, name a time when you were really blessed by someone else's words. Okay, got it? Go. Okay, I'm going to interrupt you. If you didn't get totally all the way through, apologies for that. All right, you can sit down. I hope that wasn't too scary. All right. There are a ton of references in the Bible about the use of the tongue and, and how it can be used. Uh, Proverbs says that our tongues can kill or give life. Uh, the Psalms are chock full of references both on, on both sides of this equation. Let me just show you a couple examples that we can look at this morning. You'll find them, it's all the way through the Psalms. But in Psalm 12, it says this, Save, O Lord, for the godly is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbors with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. Anybody ever run into some flattering lips? Right? Not a deal? It's kind of a common experience. The opposite side of that would be Psalm uh, 9, which says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you, and I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. Notice the difference in tone there between the two? All right. Let's look at another one. This one's a, a little more graphic. Uh, this is about Doeg, the Edomite, who when David was fleeing from Saul, uh, he saw Abimelech help him, and then Doeg ran back to Saul and told uh, Saul about that, and then Abimelech and all the priests were killed. And David writes this because he's really upset. He says, Why do you boast of evil, O mighty man? The steadfast love of God endures all the day. Your tongue plots destruction like a sharp razor, you worker of deceit. You love evil more than good and lying more than speaking what is right. And then it says there, Selah, right? Selah means stop for a second. Think about that. Ponder it. You love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue. Right? The opposite of that would be found in Psalm 18.6. It says, In my distress I called upon the Lord. To my God I cried for help. From His temple He heard my voice, and my cry to Him reached His ears. Let's do one more here. In... Um, Psalm 55, it says, My companion stretched out his hand against his friends and he violated his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil and yet they were drawn swords. This is David writing about his son Absalom who eventually threw a conspiracy and uh, betrayed him and almost took over the kingdom. And then again, the opposite side of that coin would be in Psalm 27, I wash my hands in innocence and go around your altar, O Lord, proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling of all your wondrous deeds. So you can see there's this contrast found throughout Scripture of there's two different ways to use your tongue. There's one way that's really destructive and there's another way that really gives life. And uh, so let's, okay, one more time. If you hear me one more time, stand up again, all right? And find a partner again, different person this time. 
Again, not your spouse. Okay? Find somebody. Yeah, you might have to walk around a little bit. That's okay. Find somebody new. There we go. Linda, you got nobody? There we go. All right. Okay, this time, this time, answer these two questions. Number one, share a time when you really blew it with your tongue. All right? Share a time when you really blew it. And number two, share a time when you either blessed another person or the Lord with your tongue. All right, so let me read again. Share a time when you really blew it with your tongue. And number two, share a time where you either blessed another person or the Lord with your tongue. Got it? Go. Okay, let me interrupt you again. Thanks so much. Go ahead, grab a seat. Thanks for engaging with that. I hope you had fun with this little exercise. But while we did it, I would imagine that it may have, for some of us, caused no small amount of tension uh, bringing some of those things up to the surface again. And that was the whole goal of this morning. So, although I apologize for it, I really don't because I wanted this morning... Yeah, you got that? Um, I wanted this morning to be more than just academic or just head knowledge. You know, the idea of just sit and dump, you know, open, dump it in. And uh, I wanted to... um, I wanted the topic of our tongue to be activated in our spirits and in our thinking. And what are we really dealing with here? And what does that look like in my life? And I wanted to get it down into the experiential, interactional, uh, so that we could rumble around and see uh, that we could actually feel it and that the impact of our words, that ha- what are the impact that, that our words have on others and the impact that others' words have on us, uh, we can kind of bring it to memory. The truth is, Words can really hurt us, right? And words can really hurt others. And we know that. We know that in our guts. And the opposite is also true. Our words can really bless. And our words can really encourage others, right? Uh, I didn't have a partner, but uh, in the first service I was sharing, that one time a, a good friend came and talked to me. We were talking and we got on a bunch of things and we were talking about their wedding and I said something so stupid. I said, yeah, I didn't make that one. I don't know what happened. I wasn't able there. I had done the wedding. Now you say, how could you do that? Well, when you've done several hundred weddings, you kind of glitch sometimes, right? And I just wasn't tra- I'm like, what in the heck was I thinking, right? Um, and I've also, my words have really blessed, right? I... Particularly in times of grief, uh, the Lord seems to have given me an ability to connect with people in the hurt and, and, and be with them. And often I've said, uh, you know, in what you're going through, may Jesus, in the next couple weeks and months ahead, may he grant a greater grace to you and your family. And, and that has really ministered to other people. So I know both sides of that coin really well. Right? Um, so, words can give or steal hope. Words can build or destroy a friendship or a marriage or a church. Any of you ever see a church destroyed by words? Right? 
Words can build or destroy trust. Words can encourage or discourage faith. Words can draw us close or push us away from others. And words can also draw us close or push us away from God. And ultimately, our words will justify or condemn us on the last day. With that all now fresh on our radar screen, let's engage with James in chapter 3 on this topic of the tongue because he doesn't start in a way that you would think um, when he begins this topic with the tongue. So if you've got your Bibles or your phone, open it up and let's take a look. Just James 3, 1 through 2, and it reads like this. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. James starts this whole topic of the tongue by issuing a warning, let not many of you become teachers. And apparently uh, in the church there that was going on, as we've talked about in earlier in the book, uh, many were, or trying to, that is, become teachers or preachers, of the new faith, and James warns that those who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. Uh, that's one of the greatest verses in the Bibles for a pastor, right? Oh, yippee. Um, but you know, you don't have to be a pastor uh, if you're a parent. You teach, right? If you're a boss, your words affect your employees. If you are a teacher in school, you have not only the children that you're teaching, but you have the other teachers and the principal and the hierarchy above you that you have to deal with. If you, um, there's just a, a life, you're a nurse, right? You, uh, your words have a huge impact on your patients. Um, there's all kinds of levels here that this, that this works for us, not just pastors. But the implication, what James is saying, is that the teacher's teaching will come under God's scrutiny because of the impact either positive or negative, that it has on the hearers of that teaching. And that suggests you that's a really sobering warning, right? That's a, that's a different kind of ballgame. James uses this opening to focus the microscope of his commentary on the importance of the tongue and how it tends to wreck those who live by it. So James kind of comes from the, uh, to, the, to counter the negative effects of the tongue in chapter 3. And we'll look at that as, as we get into it. But he says this, For we all stumble in many ways. That also could be read, we all sin in many ways. And one of the primary ways we sin is with our tongue. Right? You ever had the Holy Spirit tell you, No, don't, don't, don't say it. And you just let it fly. And then you can't pick up the debris field after. Right? I think all of us know that, that place. So stumble could also be interpreted trip up. Uh, have you ever been tripped up by what you've said? Or tripped up by what others have said? You're going along the day fine and, and somebody says something to you and right? you're wiped out for the rest of the day. If you trip badly enough, you can really wipe out. And uh, much can be lost in the fall. So it's worth our thinking about. James then points out an, an interesting correlation here that uh, although we all stumble in many ways, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man or a perfect person, able also to bridle his whole body. And he's pointing out that there's a correlation between the ability to discipline one's tongue 
or what we say, and therefore discipline the other appetites and drives of the body that tend to lead us into sin. If you can get a handle on this area, it's going to help you a lot in these areas. And he says the place to start with is your tongue. So the idea or thing that he's driving at is if you can reign in your tongue, you can reign in your body. Right? So let's look at how he draws this lesson then. In verse 3, he says he uses this illustration of horses. He says if we put bits into the mouth of horses so they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Uh, this was a personal one in my life, uh, which is why I never like to teach on James chapter 3, because uh, I grew up on a farm, and we called it farm language, right? And uh, it's, I called it descriptive language. When you shovel all day, it's not a bad word, all right? And so I came crashing into the Christian life and was just incredibly inappropriate, all right? And that continued for years, and Finally, God got on me, and I've told the story before of how in 1988, God really busted me on my anger and my language and said, you know, the, uh, the righteous or the man will not accomplish the righteousness of God. And so I, uh, I, I had to stop doing that. And part of the problem for me was, is that my language was my power. It was part of my personality. It was part of uh, who I was. And so it was my way of moving people in the direction that I want them to go. And God was saying, you know, it, the way you're moving people isn't helping. And so I had to let that go. And part of the thing I struggled with is if I did that, I would be inept or impotent in terms of functioning as a pastor. And God actually said, no, you'll actually be more powerful. And the illustration he gave me is that of a wild Mustang. Uh, many of you are familiar with the Mustangs that run in the the West and Nevada and all that stuff, and every year they do a roundup kind of stuff. If you break an animal like that, put a saddle and a bridle and on them, uh, they're not less powerful. It's just that they can actually be directed in a useful direction. Now, all that energy can be channeled towards something that's productive wherever the rider wants to take it. And in this case, the rider would be the Lord himself. My cousin, Ardiel Davister, raised horses and they had the big draft horses, you know, the Belgians and the Perchins and uh, it was fantastic horses. They also raised uh, quarter horses and Arabians uh, back in Sugarbush where I grew up. And I remember my cousin Lynn, we were uh, first cousins and, and close and she was showing me how to saddle a horse. I hated horses. And she was showing me how to saddle a horse and put a bridle on, right? And, uh, and so she showed me how the bit worked. And so what she did, she took the horse's mouth, opened it up, and you could see behind the teeth there was this gap. And she said, see, Steve, that, that bit, you slide it in the teeth and you get it in there and that sits right in there. And of course, the horses didn't like that and they'd, they'd spit it out or bite you while you're trying to put it in and, and dumb things. And, you know, <laughs> sorry, Rebecca, love you dearly. But, um, but anyways, where that bit goes is right in that soft part and thus you can turn the whole horse just by pulling the reins right or pulling the reins left, right? And so uh, that metal bar exerts pressure on the soft part and thus you can turn the horse. Well, the bit for us is not a metal piece, but it's the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit is the one that God gives to us to rein us in, so to speak, and to develop soft points in our spirit so that when you feel the tug of the Holy Spirit, whether it's right or left, you follow the direction that the Holy Spirit's taking you, be that with your words or with your actions. Um, 
And when it works, it's absolutely beautiful. Uh, my favorite horse of all time. Here we go. This is a positive backup. But my favorite horse of all time is Secretariat. Right? I am old enough to have watched those races live. Some of you have just seen footage. You're like, who's Secretariat? you never even heard. The greatest horse that ever existed on the face of the earth. Uh, I watched the Kentucky Derby, the Preakness, the Belmont, him win. He won one race by 73 lengths. That time has never even come close to being duplicated. It's one of the most majestic things you could ever watch. Okay? And it's the same idea God's trying to get across to us, is that, you know, if you would let me bridle you, if you'd let me saddle you, you can do things that you would never imagine that you could do. Will you let me do that? And so part of this whole thing in this chapter is the challenge before us of letting God rein in our tongues. All right? And, and we'll spend uh, more time with that. James goes on and uses uh, another illustration. He uses that of a rudder. He says, look, uh, ships, you know, check out ships. Ships are something they had back in the day. It says, though they're so large and driven by strong winds, they're guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. In James' uh, in James day, James was probably thinking about the boats that were on the Sea of Galilee, right? The fishing boats like you read about in the Gospels with Peter, James, and John and those guys, and they'd go out and fish. Or he was probably thinking about the boats, the big boats out in the Mediterranean, you know, the trade boats from the Phoenicians and stuff that went across the, the Mediterranean. Uh, they, that was sail power back in that time. Uh, but even today with our power boats, you know, we have gas power and diesel power and then even nuclear power. Uh, if you've ever out at uh, like uh, Fort Casey, right, if you've ever been out there and watched the subs come through from Bangor, man, that is cool, right? And you're like, wow. But even something that big, if you look at it, it's a small rudder that actually steers the ship. So in proportion to the whole, the rudder is a small piece but it exerts enormous influence. The point being made is it's not how small this piece of equipment is, but rather how useful, wonderful, and productive it is. James is saying a rudder is a really good thing. It makes the whole boat useful and profitable. Uh, think of what a rudder does, right? If you're, uh, you've sometimes been on a lake or stuff, you've been on a boat. If you're coming towards the rocks, you turn the rudder, right? And it keeps you from crashing into the rocks. Um, the other thing is uh, a rudder... Uh, gets you to go in the right direction. It makes the boat move. Uh, it makes it land in its port of call, not miss it, like sail by, hey, there it goes, right? You actually turn the rudder and turn into the harbor. Um, so it, the proportion of its size is not commensurate with its important. Little piece, big power. Uh, another illustration uh, today would be uh, we have these big, huge microscopes. Uh, you know, if you've ever gone and seen one of those, they're absolutely amazing. And you'd think, wow, it must take some kind of gigantic motor to turn those things. But really it doesn't. If you look at those microscopes, they're on ball bearings, and there's this little five-horse electric power motor with a belt going, right? And we, we see the whole galaxies on the thing. It's, it's amazing how small it takes to turn the whole thing. So James is illustrating that the tongue functions in the same way. Okay, it functions like a bit or it functions like a rudder. So all said and done, it can be a very useful thing. But James is also pointing out a problem that because of the fall, Adam and Eve sin in the garden 
and then the subsequent sin nature that's been passed on to all of us that we wrestle. Why do I do that? Right? Uh, the Bible would say it's because of the fall. It says that the tongue, like almost everything else in life, tends to jump out of control. Right? Got it, got it, got it, lost it. Kind of thing. So James goes on to say this then. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. So when the tongue does get out of control, it, it talks about things that it really can't do. You ever bragged up something that you said you could do and you really couldn't? You ever made yourself look better than you really are? You ever tried to get in a group and impress people? What part of your body do you do that with? With your tongue, right? We try to convince people um, with it. In other words, the boast of the mind show up in the words of the tongue. As we said, its, its size is disproportionate to the amount of influence it has. The mouth or the tongue, James says, declares a lot of stuff. And not all of it is good. So it's an amazing pivot point. Our words in our life can go in two very different directions. What can be very useful and used for great good can also be very harmful and cause great damage. And if you've had any debris fields in your life from that, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, you see this in many of the thoughts laid out in the book of Proverbs. I'm just going to read them. You don't have to take them down if you want. Just write the reference. But just listen to the tone of what it's saying. Proverbs 18.21 says this, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Let me, let me read that again because it, it words a little differently. It says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. So in other words, what James saying, or Proverbs is saying is that uh, you can speak badly and disastrously, or you can speak good and build up, but whichever one you do, you're going to eat the fruit of it. You're either going to eat this death, or you're going to eat this life, depending on how you use your tongue. Proverbs 11.11 says, By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is overthrown. Proverbs is saying that not just people or relations, but towns, cities, go good or bad according to the leadership within it and how that leadership uses their tongue. And it says some leaders will take and build up the city and be for the good of the city and speak a blessing over the city and other leaders will actually destroy the very city that they're supposed to help and they'll tear it apart with, with their tongue. Proverbs 13.3 says this, Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Amen? Right? Open mouth, insert foot. Right? You ever done that? Proverbs 15.28 says, The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. You ever just gotten with somebody, they just flap, 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 and you hope they end and then they flap some more, and then you hope they're done and they flap some more, right? And you're just like, oh my, you're killing me, right? You're just killing me. And uh, here it says that the heart of the righteous ponders, listens to what you're saying. Says, Let me give that some thought. Let me, let me get back to you. You ever had somebody say that? Then you're nervous, right? Like, what are they think? What are they going to say, right? Um, it's kind of, kind of an amazing thing. Why is all of this so important? 
Well, here's two reasons why I think all of this is, is so important. Not all the reasons, both. Most people ask, why do I need Jesus? Why do I need... Right? I don't see a need for it. Well, a cursory look at our words would show us that uh, our talk needs a Savior. Right? Our talk needs to be redeemed. And if my talk needs to be redeemed, that means I need to be redeemed. Because my talk is merely a reflection of what's going on in my heart. If my talk is bad, my heart's bad. And I need somebody to come in and correct my heart. And I don't know anybody who can do that. Well, that's why or where the Bible says Jesus comes in. That's why we need him. It's on that practical level. Secondly, our words reflect something, as I mentioned, that's wrong in our heart. This can be easily missed. Your tongue just doesn't come up with something out of thin air. It's fed by the information that our brains feed it, what we've pondered, what we've thought about. The Bible calls that, the control center calls that the heart. Okay, So we're not talking about the pump here, we're talking about the pump here. And the difference between eternity is 18 inches from here to here, right? And the Bible's saying that um, our ref- words reflect something, reflects that something is wrong in our heart. Our words um, kind of blow things up, right? Like Mount Kilauea right now in Hawaii. Uh, it doesn't take much of an earthquake to get the hot lava to come spewing out. I was looking at the video footage this week. Have you watched that stuff? Like... There's a guy standing here and like where the walls and lava shooting up like 15 to 30 feet. And I'm going, what in the world am I standing on? Right. If you were in Hawaii, wouldn't that freak you out? Like lava's right. What's under me? Right. I'm thinking, whoa. But, you know, when you when you look at that, um, volcanoes are not the only thing that vent in our culture. Right. This also speaks of our ultimate goals and destinies. If the ultimate goal of our life down here is not happiness, but rather holiness, then this is a really big deal. Why? Because the whole goal of the Holy Spirit, like that bit or that rudder, is to bring us into conformity with Jesus Christ. In other words, to lead us into becoming like Him, to be shaped into His image. That we would not only... Um, act like him, but we would also talk like him. And what immediately comes into mind when we think of that is how amazing Jesus was with his words. You don't have to be a believer to realize how amazing Jesus was. If you read the gospel accounts, he was absolutely brilliant. He could lay something down, right? Like they came and they said, hey, teacher, you're so hot shot and so holiness. Here's a chunk of money. What do you say about this? And Jesus looked at it and said, give to Caesar what's Caesar's, give to God what's God's. Is that brilliant or what? Totally didn't answer the question and totally answered it at the same time. And Jesus did all kinds of things like that. He was absolutely stunning in his words. People have not been able to get over Jesus' words for 2,000 years. There's a reason why they say he's the greatest life that's ever been lived on the planet and why most people aren't impressed is because they haven't read it. But just read the Gospels and the impression you come away with is Jesus was brilliant in his thinking and he was brilliant in his words. Well, we're going to look further into this in the weeks ahead, but the goal of this morning was just to chug it up, all right? To get it out there, to get us talking, to get it on the table, to get us to interact. 
and to get to be actively thinking about your words and how you and I use them. And so this week, I'd like you to track your words. Watch how you react. Watch what you say. Watch what you think the Lord's telling you. Watch what you think you're supposed to say. Watch what you think you're not supposed to say. All right? And engage with the Lord on this level. And then we'll come back next week and take this further in James chapter 3. Sound good? All right, let's pray. Father, this was a great morning. Uh, Thanks for everybody participating and uh, working with this whole deal. The Lord, the truth is, we're atrocious with our words. And we have done great damage, and we know it. And Lord, there are times also we've been wonderful with our words. Brilliant, kind of like you, inspired by you. Sometimes think we should take notes on ourselves, it's so good. And, and the truth is we're erratic. And when we talk about this, a lot of things comes flushing up from the past, both of what we've said or done to others and what others have done and said to us. Would you help us, please? Wash us, cleanse us, help us to fall under your leadership in this area. This is one real practical place where surrender makes total sense. And so we ask for your help and we give that to you. Dialogue with us this week. Help us track how we talk and we give that to you in your name. Amen.